Welcome to Rugged Theology, a Mile One Mission podcast where we talk theology, church planting, and drink coffee. So, welcome guys to episode six. Thanks, Steve. What are you at? Cheers. <laughs> what was that? What are you at, boys? That was. Okay, just trying to be a little too Newfoundland there. The Australian. That's not Newfoundland, I can tell you that. Whatever. We're there, buddy, down by the wharf. There yeah. you go. Uh, yeah, see, that's a little closer. The actual Newfoundland, the actual Bayman says it. <laughs> right on. So, in this episode, well, actually, well, first of all. Sorry, that was hot. <laughs> we drink coffee here, remember? Well, that's a good point. And he just got his coffee, so I guess it's really warm. So anyway, just I'm, my name is Steve Daw. I'm the uh, Director of Education for Mile One Mission. I'm Adam Diamond. I'm an intern at Mile One Mission. I'm Matt Leahy. I'm a church planter for Mile One Mission. And I am David Drover, another intern at Mile One. And for those who are just joining us today, we have a new intern. We have a guy off to the side named Curtis Rogers. He doesn't have a microphone, maybe... We're not letting him have a microphone right. yet. Still on probation, like but, I said. But he is here, <laughs> and he is with us. So and hopefully yeah. in future podcasts, he will be joining us after he uh, sees how the uh, amateur pros do it. That's right. Mainly amateurs. Okay. <laughs> so uh, this is episode six. We've had a lot of discussions about a lot of different topics. We've talked about uh, church planning. We've talked about the gospel. Uh and this week we wanted to talk about something uh, a little bit more feely uh, about the co- top topic of love. They're already uh, are already at our door. So yeah, I guess you know what is love. Well, and I mean it's going to be an important thing too because as Christians we talk about love an awful lot, but there's a lot of interesting things that love is used for in the world around us. People will say. Uh, I love my pizza. I love coffee. But the the thing is that as Christians, we would be talking about love from a biblical perspective. We've already said that the Bible is our final authority about uh, I, uh, questions of faith and practice. And so the question that we want to talk about here then is when we're talking about love, what does uh, the Bible mean by love? What has God revealed to us for love to be? So this this is the podcast in a sentence. Uh, let's just finish it off right now. So thanks, guys, for tuning in. Um, but here's the answer for what is love. John 15, uh, verses 13 and 14. No one has greater love than this to lay down his life for his friends. Hashtag done. Thanks, guys. I'm out. Mm, hashtag nope. Whoa, that's not... That's got to get some explanation here. That's no, pretty self-explanatory. Is that all that love is? Well, that's it. Greater love hath no man than this doesn't mean that it has defined love. It just simply says that there that this that is, that the is greatest a great love example that of love. What about the lesser yeah. types of love? And yeah, yeah, I'm, guys, I'm just being silly. Oh, we know, we <laughs> yeah, know, we know. We're, we're, we're just you, calling we're you out. Just <laughs> yeah, but, <laughs> you see, this is the problem. We, as a culture, we tend to be flippant and si- and silly about love. Mm. And let's face it, if you look at it from the biblical perspective, it's a very important topic. I mean, as you just pointed out, uh, when we talk about Mm -hmm. Jesus Christ giving his life for us, we say that greater love hath no one than this. Mm -hmm. 
So, I mean, love becomes a very, very important topic. I mean, we are to love our enemies. Yep. We are called to uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love your mm -hmm. neighbors as yourselves. Love is really, really important. So while you know we can be a little bit silly about it, the question is going to be we still need to know what it is because I think we can be confused about it. Absolutely. Yeah, uh, there's, and I mean, society will even agree that there's different types of love. We have brother, brotherly love. Uh, you have the love between a parent and a child. Uh, you have the love between spouses, between men and women. Uh, there's just varying degrees of love and what that looks like and how that plays out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I mean, popular in popular culture, we've had, uh, or in popular Christian culture, we've had a lot of talk about the four different types of love, uh, biblically speaking. Uh, you know, that being uh, uh, um, phileo, the brotherly love you just mentioned. Uh, Eros. Uh, that's the erotic love. You just yep. had to go there, didn't you? I did. Yeah. Uh, and uh, C.S. Lewis in his famous uh, lectures would also call uh, storge, which is kind of affection. Um, but there's also agape, which is the most commonly used word for love. And in fact, when it says God is love, that's the word being used, agape. Now, I want to be careful here because we can often put an awful lot of weight in, on specific words in the Greek that it's not meant to bear, but... You know, it, it does bear mentioning that there are different types of love, at least in the Greek, that would be uh, important here, though it still has a bit of a domain of meanings. Mm. Yeah, so many people today will say, well, you know, if God is love, then such and such and such. So, like, you know, is is that, you know, when we say God is love, is it by our definition of love or is it by another definition of love? Like, what is it? I guess, you know, we... We, sh we should be able to clarify that what does it mean when I say God is love? And of course, it's going to be important because, uh, I mean, I re remember reading this really terrible meme. Uh, it's got a picture of Jesus standing over and against a whole bunch of people in suits, apparently conservative Christians. And he's, he's saying, uh, he says to them, the problem is that you use the Bible to define love, and I use love to define the Bible. And that's going to be a bit of a problem because, again, we do have to have some idea about what love means. And before we, you know, get too uh, off topic as well, I, I, I want to mention that because the world also doesn't just have those four ideas about what love is. I mean, every abusive relationship, both sides will call will say, oh, I love you. Mm, yeah. And use it as a means of controlling the other person. And is that love? Um, we also have, you know, the popular saying, love is blind. Mm -hmm. You know, is, is love truly blind? And then there's the love wins, right? Where if you love someone, you kind of sweep under the rug all of the sin in their life. Let's look past it, right? But, you know, because love wins, which was a popular phrase uh, put out a couple of years ago, uh, you know, let's just overlook everything, right? Let's right. just put everyone on the same playing field. And so um, basically it's taking, you know, love is blind to its logical conclusion. Yeah. If yeah. love is blind to everything, then, you know, yep. 
we can look past everything. Yep. So it's clear then that we can be talking about different things when using, in fact, the same word, love. So guys, uh, throw it out there for me. What is love? Baby, don't hurt me. <laughs> uh, it, it's hard not to sing it. It, 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 it is. Really I, is. I, I'll, I'll give you that. Mm-hmm. It is. I mean, I grew up on like Noah the Roxbury. Right? So that was, yeah. You had a really messed up childhood, dude. <laughs> it's such a funny movie, though. I mean, come on, guys. I'm a tween. You know how many times I was asked, are you two brothers? And we play a scene. No. Yes. And then we high five. We actually played that in that movie. It was fantastic. Just ask my wife. We did it We did it to her when we first met her. And she was actually confused after she didn't get the joke at all. Mm. So, so uh, what, what is love? Well... <laughs> I mean, there. You're preaching on this week, so you should know. Yes. Well, it'll be weeks past by the time this gets released, but yeah. So I mean, that passage is found in First John. Yeah. Uh, you no, know, like God is love, and you no, know, Dave just so happens to be preaching through First John. Yep. So, uh, Mr. Preacher Man, this is your this is your book. Tell us what John means. Yeah. So first, let me let me read it out. Um, and. To be fair to Matt, what he read out earlier from John's gospel, I do think that's definitely relevant to this conversation, that verse um, in that passage. But um, I'm not preaching this particular passage um, yet. I will be in the future. Um, But right now it's 1 John 4, and we're going to go a little bit in the middle. Um, So starting at verse 8 to do just 8, 9, and 10. uh, Anyone who does not love God, or sorry, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. That's that's our quote, God is love. Yep. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So I think there's so much. I mean, we could spend hours talking about that passage, those just few verses um, but there's there's a, a little bit of a logical flow here, right? So John first says, anyone who does not love does not um, does not know God because God is love. And then he says, and this love of God was made manifest. So it was shown to us, God's love was shown to us through Christ. And he says, in this was love. Then he goes on to tell us what love was. He says, what it's not is that we loved God, but it is that God loved us and he sent his son to be the propitiation of, for our sins and that word propitiation it's actually kind of the opposite of what matt brought up earlier when it comes to sweeping stuff under the rug Mm -hmm. right it's it's that idea that jesus bore the wrath of god for our sins um in our place that he that he did that for us in our place another fancy word for that is penal substitution um it's not the exact same thing but it's that kind of sphere of the atonement um and i mean that that is essentially kind of even mentioning that verse that Matt read out in John 15, mm. um, the idea that love is, it's, it's sacrificial and selfless. And Christ was the greatest example of that as he came and, and lived his life to, to die for us. Um, okay. Does this mean that in order for me to actually love other people, I have to send my son to die for their sins? Nope. Not a chance. Okay. Can you explain that out a bit? Well, I mean, the thing is, is that we believe that Jesus was the final sacrifice, right? He was, you know, you go back and you compare it to the Passover, the Passover lamb, and, you know, what was needed. Jesus was the final 
atoning sacrifice for our sins. He was the you know, final uh, sacrifice that was needed to pay for our sins. He bore God's wrath so that we could be saved. You know, that is, you know, uh, the greatest act of love that we can ever see. But it doesn't mean that, you know, we have to go out and offer our sons to God or anything or offer it for someone else to be forgiven. Jesus paid for all of us. And that's what makes his love so great. And uh, and not only that, but that he didn't have to do it. It He was motivated by his love for us, for, for in, you know, his justice and to see us be saved for his glory, uh, that his, he was loving in the fact that he bore our sins when he didn't have to. He bore his own wrath when he didn't have to. And then he offers us, a salva- us salvation as a result of that. There is honestly, there can no, be no greater love than that. Right. But again, we, we, we talk about those levels of love. doesn't mean that all love has to be on that same level. Uh, but that is, that's clearly what that passage is talking about. It's not saying God is blind to your sins or that, you know, love just overlooks everything. Like Dave said, propitiation is exactly the fact that it deals with those issues. It doesn't look past it. It's not blind to it. It acknowledges it. And as messy and as dirty and as uncomfortable as it can be, it deals with it. Okay, then. So... In the passage that he just read also said that we should love others and, you know, love our neighbors. Uh, and the Bible says, again, like I said, love y- your neighbors, even going so far as to say love your enemies. Mm-hmm. How, how, do, uh, how are Christians called to love them? I think Dave said a key word earlier that it was selfless. It's a selfless love. That we, because, again, it's not... When it comes to loving our enemies, we can very easily get caught up in ourselves and think about what this person has done, mm-hmm. what they've done for us. And I think it goes back to, you know, we love because God first loved us. We're motivated by God's love for us. If God can love me as a sinner, if he can forgive me for where I am already, and I didn't have to do anything and he, he already loved me, I don't have to earn his favor, then I don't. I shouldn't really require someone to forgive me before I love them or to make amends before I love them. It's that selfless love that it's not about you. It's about the spiritual disposition of the person you're reaching out to and do they know Christ. Okay. I think from a from a practical standpoint, it can be everything from service and works and deeds uh, your as I'm preaching through James, your faith in action, right? You're you're living out your faith, um, and you kind of look at, you know, at at the Last Supper, as it's called, when Christ was reclining with the disciples. He he said, you know, if if I'm if I'm the servant, and I'm I'm greater than than the servant, and I'm here serving you, then then you serve others as well, uh, and so. It, it can look like simple acts of service. I, I mean, we could spend all day thinking up, you know, this is what it looks like for a Christian to model the love of Christ to others. But it could also be speaking the word of truth in their lives, to calling out their sin. It can be, you know, for another brother or sister, seeing them go down a wayward path and, you know, come on back. Here's here's what you're struggling with. And, and here's the expectation that God has for the Christian believer. And so... um it, it can look like a number of things, really. Yeah, I think 
when it comes to this conversation of of love and how to like the practical sense of love i mean obviously jesus is our example in it right um but there are things like we we're not practically you know we're not meant to go out and just die for other christians all the time like that just doesn't really make any sense right um but that's why john i think in that passage says there's no greater love than this who somebody who lays down his life for their friends and we're called to love but i think there's also an element to we can lay our lives down for our friends without like it being a literal dying physically dying yeah right like it's similar to pick up your cross deny like that's not meaning that you have to die every day but there's an element to where you can live your life in service selflessly sacrificially for other people um, and that can come out in your relationships with with your, your with your family um, especially with with fellow Christians we're commanded to love each other mm. um, and I think that the example that Matt gave of calling out sin I think that's that's a massive um, example of how we often fail to love others properly um, and the reason that is is because at least if any of you listening and even you guys around the table if you're like me um, often when you don't call out sin you avoid it and you kind of just pretend and sweep it under the rug or, or you're blind to it what you're really saying well first of all we believe that sin is harmful for other people right so that that sin that thing they're doing is going to cause them harm so when we turn a blind eye to that we're actually saying to that person i'd rather you like me right now and have a have a nice you know have a nice supper instead of actually calling that out and and hoping the best for them and hope that they would turn from that sin and, and not fall into that harm um so there are things like that and that flies in the face i think of what our culture often will tell us about what love is because at least for a lot of young adults um at mun and even just a lot of my peers it's all about we have to affirm everything about a person we can't disagree with them um, we need to be what many people call accepting. Um, now, not that accepting is a bad term, but like love, I think we often mean different things. Well, and I mean, by it, right? I think there's a kind of uh, more uh, primacy and secondary nature to what we're talking about here. The primary nature is the thing of love. And all of these things come out of love, our ability to talk to others, our ability to even accept in certain senses, to uh, another common word that we use is tolerate. Uh, I don't think it's a very good word because I think tolerance is what you do when you can't love. Yeah, I think tolerance is very different than love. Uh, I do too, though. I, I, it is easier to be uh, to train yourself to love if you are able to tolerate uh, differences. But that said, I, I'm going to actually, I, I think I'd like to throw into the situation here one of the Bible passages that I think we as a culture misinterpret the most because we think it's oh, I know where you're going. very, <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, we, we like to read it at weddings. Um, a friend of mine's getting, getting married this week, so I'm, I'm actually relatively sure this is probably going to be read here, there. But the passage is uh, 1 Corinthians 13, and I'm actually going to read the whole thing because I think it's important. Yep, hold on to your boots. If I speak in the tongue of, tongues of men and of angels... But have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. 
Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the par partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I felt like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. So based on this text, given all of the things that we've been saying here, how would you tie your understanding of our actions and of love to what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians 13? Well, first off, we have to put this passage within the context of the epistle, right? So the Corinthian church was messed up. It was, it was messed up. They had divisions and they had strife and there were people following this person and that person. And it was, it was messy. It was all over the shop. And so, again, this is not a wedding passage. This is not a marriage passage. Although it could be, the, the application is very still real for relationships, but that's... Well, if you're going to develop a marriage, this is the kind of love that you'd actually need to be able to show to your partner. Yeah, that's right. And so the application of the passage for relationships is, is huge, but essentially this passage has to do with the situation that's unfolding in the Corinthian church. There's these divisions, people are at each other's throats, and they're just, they are not modeling the love that Christ models to us. So just uh, to get rid of, because uh, I, I went to a very strange seminary that used a lot of interesting phrases to say, well, if we put it into the context, we know that this doesn't really apply to us now. Uh, yeah, no. So the Corinthian church is messed up, but this is still applicable to us. Oh, totally. Because you see the same thing in the church today. I'm not saying our church is plagued by these issues. I'm not saying that, I'm not calling Though it any... you're not saying it's not. <laughs> oh, that's right. I mean, we're humans. We're, we're, we're marred by sin, right? Like it's, uh, yeah, we're, we're impacted and affected by it. And so um, Paul is calling out the sin that's permeating throughout the church, right? And saying, guys, listen, this is, you're acting in this manner. This is what love looks like. Love, there's no division in it. There's no strife there's no anger it's patient it's loving it's can, I, can you do that can you you can't use the same word to define the, the word. no that's called circular <laughs> yeah so mm. yeah but it, it, it is important that he does he does use an awful lot of phrases that i think are important like uh not only he does say that love is patient and kind it does not envy or boast it's not arrogant or rude and does not insist on its own way, which, by the way, is where we get, we in the modern culture would be pretty happy at this point. But then it says it does not rejoice at wrongdoing. 
but rejoices with the truth. Hmm. Yep. Yeah. That's a hard one because when we're you know when we're in the wrong, and we're confronted with that, we're confronted with the truth. Oftentimes we don't rejoice at that. At least not at first. You know, maybe after God's worked in our heart a bit more and the Holy Spirit's you know done His work in our lives and convicted us of that sin, and we realize maybe we are in the wrong. At first, we don't rejoice when that truth comes out. Mm. We don't, it it hurts. It smacks you in the face. Um, and and you know, Paul Paul is saying like, guys, like it doesn't matter how great you think you are. It doesn't matter how great your actions are. Like I said, you could put, give your body to be burned. You know, give the greatest sacrifice ever. And if you don't truly have love, if you're doing it just for the act, mm-hmm. it means nothing. In fact, I think it's I think it's pretty clear, at least from First Corinthians thirteen, he's not actually defining love as an act, but as motivation for act. Yep, I mean, mm. again, are you motivated to lay down your life and you know for your brother so that you'll be remembered as a great person, or you know for this? Uh, for this great act or are you laying down your life for a good reason to you know help lift up motivate bless or whatever you have you for your brother or sister Mm -hmm. because i think that's what he means by he's when he opens up with what you mentioned like if i have if i give up my body to be burned but have not love so it's possible to give up your body to be burned and have not love though he also says that uh, prophecy which is truth-telling Yep. If I speak with all prophecies but have not love, I'm a clanging gong. It, it means nothing. Right. You know, our, our motivation, again, if we go back to what John wrote, uh, we love because God first loved us. We need to realize that the only reason we have salvation, the only reason we can have any spiritual gift or that, you know, we can have this community of believers is because God loved us first. Yeah. And, and, and just on that note, let's be clear. I mean, I think these... This is consistent with the idea of love that John writes in his gospel and in his letters. I mean, we've talked about that, that God is love, that he sent his son for us. Um, and even in, in this passage now, we see Paul doesn't just give like a one-liner, this is what love is. He tells us a, a lot of descriptors of love. You know, it's patient and kind. He, he goes on this long list of different things that it is. And really, if we think about God as love and we think about Christ, I mean, is, is Jesus not patient and kind? Did he not not boast or or um, he wasn't arrogant or rude? Like these are also the scriptures of yep. Christ, who ultimately we then go to to love in, in John thirteen and also in John fifteen, just before the the verse that Matt read out. The command that Jesus has is to love one another as he has loved us and as the Father has loved him. So like he is that example of what love is. And Paul is just, even though n- not necessarily that's maybe not the main focus of this. It is consistent with John's narrative of, of what love is as well. Now, just to try to do the one-line thing that you guys say isn't possible, uh, and, I'm, and I'll admit I'm cheating here, uh, some theologians would say that love is to desire the good of another. Now, of course, I've just defined it using another term that's going to require a lot of definition, to desire the good for. Mm. So, like, if I desire the good of someone, I I am not actually just desiring that they like me, but nor am I desiring that they hate me, that I am kind of immaterial. Or nor are we saying, no, that we desire for them to have a 
quote unquote blessed life where you have financial stability or where you have nice cars, nice house, nice yard. Well, unless that's what good is. And then we need to find what good is. Right. What right. is actually good for a person. Right. And I mean, that's that's mm -hmm. kind of why it's it, why my one liner isn't very good as a one liner. Depends on what you mean by mm. good. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, that's going to be uh, an important part because, you know, I mean, when Jesus says that no one is good but God alone, that's kind of what we're talking about here. Yeah. No, for sure. I, I'm just trying to think of if I were to try and summarize it in a one liner, and this is just my own thought, given kind of some of the language we've used, I'd probably say something like love is selflessly and sacrificially giving your life up for another. Um, although that doesn't really focus on the good part, so yeah, it's probably uh, a better definition that you said, Steve. And, and and honestly, it's Thomas Aquinas, so you know, I don't think we're going to come up with mm. much better very easily. <laughs> yeah, probably not. Uh, that guy had a brain on him like n nobody's business, but... <laughs> but I mean, like, people, you can say in the end, people will say, I mean, people have, you know, love wins in the end, God wins, but... Which we is can't true. S which is true, absolutely. But we can't separate his love from the other attributes of God, yeah. from his justice. He's both loving and just, and he is also loving and wrathful yeah. towards sin. Well, I mean, if, if God is good, how can he be okay with the things that we as humans do to one another? You know, that's a conversation that you and I had, myself and Steve had earlier today, about how in the... 19th and 20th century there was this period of preaching where it was you know all hellfire and brimstone it was you know decisionism essentially to cause people to for people to cause people to make a decision um, based on fear uh, to come to Christ and then uh, you know back in I, Chris you can correct me if I'm wrong but I think it was in the 60s and 70s when the whole um, love it started a little earlier than did that it okay came. yeah where the church went from one extreme of preaching the wrath of God, the hellfire and brimstone, to nothing but the love of God. Yeah. Um, and, and along the way, the love of God got watered down to something more palpable, right? right. I, I, you know, when I say palpable, I want to say palpatine. Palatable. Palatable. Not palpable. Palatable. Yeah. palatable. Palatable. There you go. Can you swallow it? Is it good on your palate? Correct. Correct. Mm. So I'm, I'm not going to say that word anymore. So, the, the the love of God was watered down, um, to the point where it just became comfortable, right? It never touched on, on his justice and his wrath and his, uh, his desire to take care of evil once and for all. I think that's actually a good way of talking about it, of seeing love as, what makes me feel good instead of what is good for me uh, and i mean it love should make us uncomfortable because love doesn't win if it doesn't deal with evil right mm. if it doesn't deal with evil actually evil wins not love and that's not a true love uh again what's what's good for a person is it good for my three-year-old daughter to have ice cream and candy all the time she would say yes. Yes. She would say yes. But yes. I, she would get mad at me sometimes as her dad saying, no, you can't have ice cream or you can't have candy right now because you've already had a lot today or you've already, you know, you're too hyper. So I'm not giving you any more to feed that. 
from her perspective, that's not a good thing. But from my perspective, as her father, it is really a good thing. One, so she doesn't drive me and her mother completely insane. Two, so her teeth don't rot and fall out of her, of her face. And three, so that she can get the actual nutrients her body needs to grow and develop. And of course, here you're actually seeing, showing something else that's kind of analogous to God's relation to us. Your time scale for your daughter's life is a lot longer, mm. for the good of your daughter's life, is a lot longer than your daughter is thinking right now. And that's something, as a parent, I actually had to remind myself of a lot, is that, okay, take a deep breath. She doesn't fully understand right now. Like She can't fully grasp everything that I'm thinking. So I constantly had to work for a way to describe something on her level. And then I have those moments where I think, like, God, like, how often are you trying to describe something to me on my level? Like, ever after, are you trying to guide me in the way? And I'm just like drawing my own little tantrum where I'm like, but, mm. but God, that's not fair. Like, well, and then there's that horrible thing that almost every child has ever said to their parents. You don't love me because, you know, we haven't done something uh, that I, they wanted right now. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's something that we would say to God. But the fact is, again, the time scale is much longer. God is desiring our eternal good and we're desiring our immediate good. Yeah. And what a comfort, though, that is when you have that perspective in those moments that we've talked about, um, you know, just for the example, since we've brought it up, calling out sin or confronting issues. When when life gets tough, when loving other people gets hard, what a comfort it is to know that even though it sucks now that God is, you know, loves me and is working for my good in an eternal perspective. Right. Like that, I feel, is, is part of the way that we ought to to think about our actions and the way that we love. That's kind of part of the motivation for how we can do that properly. Right. I think it's also part of the strength of it, too, because absolutely it would be very hard for me to maintain love for other people if it was just based. I mean, desiring their good, if it was just based on the way they are treating me now or the way I see things right now. I mean, the same way as if you're talking to your daughter, I apologize for using it, you brought you brought her up. But if you're just thinking, I really don't want to see my daughter cry, and I don't think I've met a father who likes seeing his daughter cry. Nope. It's really, really hard for them to watch it. But I mean, if you desire their good, you actually have to watch it sometimes. Actually, uh, this morning, I, uh, we had, we had a moment where, uh, you know, I, uh, I let something go in the room, and uh, she was like, Daddy, that was you. So I played along. I was like, no, that was you. And I was going through everyone in the house. So that was Isaac, or that was that was Luna, the cat. And she's like, Daddy, you're telling a lie. And I was like, yeah, I'm sorry. I shouldn't. She's like, when I told a lie, you put me in time out. And I cried and cried and cried, and then you told me it was okay after. She said, but we shouldn't tell lies. And it hit me that I'm like, I'm really glad you learned your lesson. But at the same time, I'm like, I need to hold myself accountable as well. Like, right. and, and, you know. So did you put yourself in your room? I, I did not put myself <laughs> in timeout. But, uh, <laughs> but what no, is like, love? that's shocking. <laughs> but but it, it opened my eyes as well to her perspective of, you know, of what we're teaching her in the same hand. I know that she's, she's also, you know, being, bringing up to me like, daddy, like that's, that's not something that we're supposed to do. Yeah, and I think it's important too here because we're learning then that love isn't always going to be easy. That, that's that's the well, I mean, obviously it's hard. If it's not easy, it's hard. But that is the hard thing. 
it's not always easy to figure out. I mean, even when we we say that love is also calling people out on their sin, but we need to do that lovingly with the right motive. I mean, it goes right back to Paul said, I can call out people for their sin all I want, but if I do it without love, I'm doing more damage than good. I need to care about what is, again, good, what is God's desire for that person's life, and do it with patience. I need to be patient. I need to be kind. Yep. I, I need to be gentle. I need to be thinking about them as a person, not just an, a, a case study or something with sin. And you see, this is where I think Aquinas was so brilliant. You need to be thinking about their good. Yep. Their good is more important than all of the other things that we have, including our ease with being able to deal with it. Yep. And, and let's be honest, guys. Like, <laughs> It's very easy when you're in that mode of having to call something out to do it out of self-righteousness more than an actual desire and love that's for good of the other person check yourself man yeah and to be clear if we're going to be using the the way that love is what we're called to do if we call people out without love that's evil it's sin we need to be called out in the way we call people out <laughs> well, I mean, honestly, because well, yeah. you're doing it from that's pride and from some weird sense, sick sense of justice, which is not true justice. Because mm-hmm. I mean, the only reason that we would call people on their sins is to bring them back to oh. repentance. And the only good reason we'd call them. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The only good reason. And and let's be real too, the way that we actually will solve any issues with justice and injustice, it's by this version of love. Right. We need to get love right. It's not it's not just some fluffy thing that we can claim to have or or be, you know, like we just talk, talked about, it, which is very easy for us to be self-righteous about to say that I'm a good person and I'm a loving person. And if more people like are like guys. me, then all of the world's problems are going to be fixed. Um, but the real way that happens is through the love of Christ changing the hearts of of people to then love like him um, in a way that is actually desiring the good for others so when when we when we're saying you know god is love and you know people are saying in the world like we shouldn't be afraid to correct people and say but his love is not disconnected from the rest of him right it's not this feel good fluffy thing you know where everyone gets along everyone's good like god is love yes but god is also just he is also merciful. He is also you know, full of grace, but he is also uh, a wrathful God. He is a, he, he wants to see evil punished, and he will see evil. He, right. w- he will deal with evil in the end. Mm-hmm. And, of course, that's where it comes in that he gave. This is why the greater love is that God gave his son for us. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's why yeah. the, going back full circle to the penal substitutionary thing that we were just talking about at the beginning, God's love isn't merely that he you know just simply uh, punishes sin he deals with sin and deals it with it in the most loving most merciful most gracious way mm-hmm. at the same time as actually showing it by if you by people who have faith in Christ having their their wrath taken by Christ instead of themselves yeah and let's and i mean just kind of on that note if we think of 1 John 2 1 to 6 it it specifically mentions another text that talks about this propitiation that Jesus was righteous and that's so key right like he didn't deserve to die he didn't deserve that but that's just how much he loved us that he did it anyways Um, and now he pleads our case um, based on his own perfection and righteousness so 
I think this is a really good conversation that we're having about what is love. But I think one of the areas that we're not touching on that we should, and this just came to mind. Um, so when you, when you look at how the world defines love, it's a feeling, it's an emotion, it's something that grows in relationships. So how, how do we take that, right, as the world defines it, it's an, an emotion or it's something I feel, and by virtue you can fall out of love, right? If you're hurt, you can somehow lose your love for another person. Uh, and then pair that up or contrast it against everything that we're talking about. You know, God is love. Like, what do we do? And this is more of a pastoral subject. And if, if we have to, you know, not talk about it for time reasons, then yeah, maybe it's another episode. But what do we do when someone comes to us and says, you know, I don't feel loved or I don't feel the love of God? Yeah, I, I, I'm called to mind of a, a YouTube thing that you know people could look at, uh, where uh, I think it's Alistair Begg talking about how I feel in the morning. How do you feel today? Well, I'll tell you how I feel. Yeah. Mm. Um, honestly, if you're talking, and I mean how I feel before I've had coffee in the morning, <laughs> isn't very loving. It wouldn't be a good thing. That's why we drink coffee. <laughs> That's why you guys force me to drink coffee. Well, I mean, and there's different there's different things too. Uh, I'll, me, me, me and my wife, just to clarify for goodness, we both say this. There are times when we say, you know, well, I don't really like you right now, but I still love you. Like, we can get upset with each other. Mm-hmm. We can get angry with each other. And, you know, we don't necessarily like each other in that moment. But you still have that love for each other. It's not totally based on your feelings. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, go back to old DC talk song. Yeah. What is, you know, love. Love is a verb. Yeah. Right. It's it's you feel something. Yes. But you also show love and how you treat people. And I think, too, like, let's be honest, um, like, Matt, I definitely think that is a section of what the world thinks about love. But I think our world's also very confused about what love is. Um, what is love? Like, oh. I think there are a lot of different narratives that the world tells us love is. Yeah. Right. Um, and that is definitely one of them. But so so the reason I say that is because I think we're often confused about love. Um, and as I'm studying First John, as he writes to a church who was likely confused um, about their own salvation, they might have had some questions or some doubts based on the church context of false teachers and things like that. Um, I see over and over as I read this book that, that John combats that by simply proclaiming what is true. So I think when it comes to what do we do when people come to us with false ideas about love, is we just have to open up this book. And we have to have discussion. We need to walk them through what, what God tells them, what, what the word of God is, and Dave, tell them what love is. What is truth? That's not our episode today. <laughs> hey, actually, yeah, maybe we should talk about that next time. Well, what at is some truth? point, we should definitely talk about it. But it, in short, mm-hmm. everything that's in this book, that is what is truth. Boom, that podcast is done. Done. Next time <laughs> yeah, on no. Mile One Missions, Rugged Theology. <laughs> but I think you know, for society, it's probably just an oversaturation, again, of one type of love. Yeah. Mm. This emotional feel-good, which is a type of love, but it's not it's one that's not the greatest act of love. And it's not all that there is to love. And it's not what we're talking about when we're talking about Christian love. When I say, you know, God loves you or that uh, uh, I am called to love you according to what... Christ, how Christ loved me. 
that isn't what we're talking about. I'm not always going to like everyone that's in the same church as me, but it doesn't mean I'm still not called to love them. Well, and you, I mean, as again, Jesus pointedly said, love your enemies. And I think by definition, those are people you don't like. Mm-hmm. And you yeah, that's exactly it. When you look at the royal law to love your neighbor as yourself, Jesus, uh, sorry, I should say Moses, or and then by virtue Jesus, uh, and James and Paul. Anyway, and ultimately <laughs> God, and ultimately God. Uh, that's that's something that not a lot of people you know think much on. What does it mean to love your neighbor? Who is your neighbor? And when you look back at the Old Testament when that commandment was first given, it's you don't just love those who you're in good relationship with, right? It's everyone, the foreigner the good neighbor, the one whom you really struggle with. It's to love everyone. And though it's going to look different depending on yeah. that relationship. Yep. Yep. And some I, people need a kick and some people need just a gentle reminder. And I do think the only way to do that properly is by knowing God's love for you. Oh, yeah. Preach it. Mm. So I guess that's good for today. Yeah. So love is selfless, but it's also, you know, not afraid of dealing with the wrongs in your life. If you want to know more about Mile One Mission and our work in Newfoundland, please visit us at mileonemission.ca.